good to be here with you tonight. I, I recognize a lot of people, um, a lot of you I don't, so hi. I'm a real estate agent by trade. I'm just going to get that out up front. And is there any other real estate agents in the room? No other real estate agents yet? Okay, that's okay. That's okay, because I might have had someone to empathize with me. But I've been working in real estate for 15 years now. And when I first um, started working in real estate, I had the same cliche um, images of real estates that you just had then when I said <laughs> that I'm a real estate agent. So when I started in real estate, I, I didn't call myself a real estate agent. I would um, I'd just make up titles for myself because I was actually just embarrassed to be a real estate agent. And so um, some of the names over the years was I was a property consultant. I was a property investment manager. Um, I work in the property sector. And then someone would go, oh, right, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I sell houses. And they're like, oh, right, so you're a real estate agent. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a real estate agent. But I'm not a real estate agent like you expect. I don't drive a convertible black BMW. I don't wear aviator glasses on a Saturday morning. My suit pants aren't over-tailored. You know, I'm not the cliche real estate. I don't wear too much gel in my hair because, you know, when we hear images, like we hear certain words, we conjure up images. Um, the double banger for me is because I also say I'm a pastor. And then they're like, oh, you're religious. And I'm like, no, I'm not religious. So that's, that, that same, because when I think about religion, I think about that it's dry and it's boring and it's rigid and it's um, restrictive. And I'm like, that's not us. That's not our faith. So even though over the years I've become comfortable that I am a real estate agent, and I now say I'm a real estate agent, I'm not comfortable with the term religious. You know, I'm more comfortable to say I'm a person of faith. You know, and we're on this series of faith at the moment. And to me, when I hear faith, I think it's alive, it's living, it's flexible, it's adventurous. It's all these things that the word religious, it's the opposite of it. And I'm not, I don't have faith in a church. I don't have faith in an in experience or a philosophy. You know, I have faith in a person. You know, we have faith in a living person, Jesus. And so I just love the fact that our faith is so exciting. Every day is exciting when you live in faith. It's not supposed to be boring. It's not supposed to be rigid. It's supposed to be alive. You know, we're supposed to feel alive with it. We're supposed to feel scared when we step out in faith. Because it's like, you know what, you're in faith when you feel scared about something. And so um, it, it often makes me think about the early, like I, I like reading about the early church because it's, um, it gives us an insight as to what God was like. You know, when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that's a really profound statement. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what Jesus is saying is, the way that I am is how God is. And so when you look at the early church, I love the fact that people flocked to him. People wanted to be around Jesus. Think about that. Everywhere that he went, crowds went too. And it wasn't just because he gave them food, because that was pretty cool. And it wasn't the fact that he healed them. It was, it was something about his personality that drew people to himself. 
think about now that that's the image of God. There is something about God's character that should draw us to Him. And the, and the gospel goes through and it talks about people who are nothing like Jesus. It's people that flocked to Him were tax collectors who in our day, just a crook, could be a real estate agent. You know, someone who's opportunistic and takes advantage. It might be someone who runs pyramid schemes and, you know, you put $5,000 in and you put $5,000 in and, and I'll get rich and you guys will not get anything. Like, these are the sort of crooked people that actually felt comfortable about Jesus. Think about that. Like, tax collectors were hated, absolutely hated and despised because they ripped people off. But there's something about Jesus that made this guy Zacchaeus. Who remembers the story of Zacchaeus? You know, the, you know, he's a small man, he's hated, no one liked him. He was up a tree trying to just get a glimpse of Jesus and Jesus says, hey mate, come down, I want to have lunch at your house. Is that the God that you know? Is the God that you know someone who would say, hey, I'm going to go hang out with this guy who's nothing like me? Because I think these days we think that we have to be like Jesus to be able to commune with him. But no one in the early church was like Jesus. They just all flocked to him. They felt comfortable about, around him. And I think that's what we're called to be. We're supposed to live that sort of life that people who are nothing like us feel really comfortable around us. You know, we've got, you know, Jesus had rich people. He had poor people. He had sick people. He had healthy people. He had prostitutes. He had lepers, he had rulers, he had guards, he had all sorts of these people. Like, what a, what a mix. I just think it's such an incredible thing to think about. And I think we've got to cut ourselves some slack, is that if you don't feel like you're like Jesus, that doesn't disqualify you. In fact, it qualifies you. Because everyone else who was walking around at that time felt comfortable. And I think, what sort of person... Like, I know some pretty nice people, and I think there's something about Jesus that was unique, that all these, that he could go to a party at a sinner's house, sinner's house, as they, enabled, as they labeled him, that Jesus could go and have dinner there and feel comfortable. Like, think about your own circle of friends and your own world of influence. Are you that person? Because that's what we're called to be. We're called to be that person. We're not supposed to be... Um, carrying a religion that marginalizes people. You know, we're supposed to, to carry a faith that attracts people. And when you think about, um, you know, religion says, if you change, you can join us. But when you look at Jesus, he said, follow me and you will change. Like we change by following him. In the, um, and and we're, so we're talking about faith and I've got three points and we've got, 20 minutes to get through them. But it's first that he has our faith is relational. Our faith requires action and our faith produces fruit. And this idea that faith is relational, when you read about, you know, Matthew or the early disciples when they're, um, when they're just standing from a distance and they're watching and they're following and they're looking at Jesus, they started, their faith started to de develop by spending time with him. Not doing anything, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything to impress him, they didn't do anything to earn his trust, they just followed him. 
Because the longer we spend time with someone, the better our relationship gets. You know, I think about um, my relationship with my wife, Kiralee. We know we've been married for 15 years and we've, been, we've known each other for probably 20 years. Um, and I know her pretty well. And our relationship is good because we spend time to it together. And I think about my relationship with my kids. And our, my relationship with my kids is good because I spend time with them. And then I think about my relationship with my dog, Piper. And that's not very good. <laughs> you might not know this. I, I, well, you do know that I'm a pastor at um, C3 Mossman. But I often talk about my dog. And I have a feeling that my church thinks I hate my dog. <laughs> I had people to lunch at my place today, so I made a sense of holding my dog <laughs> at the door. And they're like, oh, this is Piper. Yeah, I love Piper. Because I, I always talk about how I don't like my dog. And if you're a dog person, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, we had a rough um, start, little Piper and I. Because you've got to give dogs attention when they're little and we didn't give her much attention well my four-year-old did but probably um, I remember she was carrying around in a handbag on the first day like so she was probably a bit frightened but anyway I digress Hebrews 11:1 1 says now faith is the confidence we hope for assurance for what we do not see faith is confidence God is and he will do what he promises to do God isn't faithful because we have faith. God's faithful because that's who he is. You know, my wife's not faithful to me because I believe that she's going to be faithful to me. She's faithful to me because she loves me. And that's the same with God. So we don't judge ourselves on the size of our faith. In fact, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's tiny. That's the smallest amount of faith. I don't think you could, you know, they weren't talking about atoms then, so... That was pretty small, so everyone went, that's small faith. But it was about who's your faith in. In Thessalonians 1, I'm oh, sorry, Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, always be joyful, never stop praying, talking to God. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Who's ever asked what God's will is in your life? Prayed about it, talked about it, tried to open the Bible to a particular spot to get, you know, direction in life. Here it is here. It just says, this is God's will for you, that you'll be joyful, that you'll never stop praying, and that you'll be thankful in all circumstances. Do you know what? Those three things are linked. You stop talking to God, you stop being thankful, and you'll lose your joy. The more we talk to God, the more we be thankful, the greater our joy. This is God's will for us. It's relational. This, our faith is highly relational. It's not a system. It's not a philosophy. It's a relationship. It's God's will for you. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We listen in prayer. And I pray about everyday life. I pray about stuff that you might think is mediocre, but I pray about it. And stuff happens. I pray, like, I pray at work and I get an unction. You should call that person. If I had a dollar every time I 
call, and I call a lot of people. I'd call, I literally, I make 50 phone calls before 12 o'clock every week, every day, every day, 250 phone calls a week. I just talk to people. And sometimes I just go, I've got to call that person. I may not have spoken to them in three years. And, they, and the amount of times that people go, have you got ESP? Like, what, what is that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I just prayed. And I felt like I should call you. I write it down. It's that idea that my sheep hear my voice. The more you talk to someone, the more you, you, more you trust them, the more you understand them. And, and try it. Practically try it. Pray in the morning. And go, God, what do you want me to do today? Write it down and go do it. It's simple. We listen in prayer and we listen by reading the Bible. Have you ever picked up a Bible and read a verse and you go, I've read that verse a thousand times and then one day it just jumps out at you. It's like a spotlight's on it. That's relational. That's God speaking to you through his word. But that'll never happen if you don't open it up. It won't. And you can listen to podcasts and you do all that sort of stuff, but you read the scriptures and, and it gets inside you and you recall it just at a particular time. It'll come back to you. You go, I remember reading that. And so doing these things will build our faith. Faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We read in the Bible about the things that Jesus said and they're highlighted in red to make it easy. You just read the red bits, that's what he said. And our faith builds because when we start to do those things, it starts to have an impact in our worlds. And we also listen in relationships, by relationships with other people. You know, our relationship with God is vertical, but it's also horizontal. It's with the people around you. Because who knows, sometimes it's hard to hear God up, but it's easy to hear him close through other people. That's why we have connect groups. And if you're not in a connect group, get in one. Because it'll change your life. Because it'll allow God to speak into you with the people around you. And allow God to speak through you to other people. If you feel that unction to say something kind to someone, do it. If you feel like you want to say something nasty to someone, don't. <laughs> you just got to follow that. You know, that's, that's the stepping out in faith. That's the, that's the idea of community. We experience God in a personal relationship, but we also experience Him in a group. We experience Him in worship, but this is only part of it. Sunday's like, an, what, we're here for an hour. What about the rest of the week? What about the rest of your day? Like, this is just a tiny part. So if you feel like your faith is only Sunday, there's so much more. You're missing out on the rest of the week. Our faith requires action. So um, Kirill and I recently renovated our, our house and, and our kids had a, have a cubby house that my um, father-in-law built. He was a builder. It's this great cubby house, but we had to basically flat pack it and put it in the backyard because of all the building stuff that was going on. So six months, it, this thing just got covered in dust and it was like feral. And by the time we put it back together, it was like this little haunted house <laughs> in our backyard. <laughs> And um, around the side of our house, like our house, we painted everything white, everything inside, out, outside. It's like, it's like a Colgate ad. It's like, it's just, everything's white. And I had these tins of paint around the side of the house. And for six months, we we're going, we should probably paint that haunted house out the back there. 
so we had all this great we had all this great paint out the side of the house and I heard a quote it's not my quote Andy Stanley said it um, but it's always stood out to me it says unapplied faith is like unapplied paint it doesn't do anyone any good the value of paint is in the application so guess what Kiralee and the kids painted the cubby house <laughs> because I almost lost my marriage over a night of painting with my wife. We were painting our house at, late at night. We were like stressed and we we're trying to cut in. This. Any painters here? Any painters? Anyone who knows what painting's like? Um, anyway, so we were, we were painting in our house and then it took us hours and we were cutting in and we are doing all that sort of stuff, taping up windows and then in the morning when the sunlight came in, we were like, oh, that's so bad. <laughs> so I, I vowed that day, I said, I'm never painting again, ever, even my kid's cubby house. <laughs> so my five-year-old painted it. Looks great though. James 1.23 says, anyone who looks into the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks into the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. Have you ever looked into a mirror and then forgotten what you look like? I have. I remember, <laughs> I used to work at Civic Video. If you're under 20, you probably don't even know what Civic Video is, but I used to work in a video store. They used to like rent out movies. And I was like, I don't know, I was 17 or 18 years old and, um, and we used to get paid cash in an envelope. And I got a call from the, from, the off, uh, from the store and said, oh, your pay's ready. And when you're 17, you just go and pick up your pay as soon as it's ready. So um, I'd been in the pool and I quickly chucked on my, my T-shirt and um, I had long hair back then, so I went into the bathroom, and when I walked into the bathroom, I realised that my shirt was inside out and backwards. Tag was out, out the front. And I thought, oh gosh, I should probably change that. Anyway, doing my hair, doing my long hair, whatever. Run out of the bathroom and go up to get my, um, to get my pay from the video store. And the girl at the counter, uh, I said, um, I'll walk in all cool, because I was single and I was just trying to impress everyone. <laughs> And I said, oh, I understand my pay's ready. And she's like, shirt's inside out and backwards. And I'm like, <laughs> I completely forgot what I look like. I didn't do what I knew I had to do at the time. I could have done it at the time, but I was too busy doing my hair. But we've got to, we've got to apply our faith. We've got to apply it. We've got to do it. We've got to use it every day, every day. But here's the thing. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts. Okay, when it says the only thing that counts, that means the only thing. Nothing else counts. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing. So if your faith is doing anything but expressing love, that's not what you should be doing. That's not what we should be doing. The only thing that counts is expressing itself through love. So we can be relevant with this every day. Our faith can be to make a decision in love to care for those around us. That's what we're called to do. We're called to apply our faith in our worlds. In my business, I'm like, how do I treat people honestly? How do I treat them with respect? How do I go the extra mile? That's my role. 
That's my role to apply my faith to what I do in my relationship. How do I defer to my wife? How do I love my wife every day? Make a decision every single day. That's my faith expressing itself in love. Praying for the sick. If you were sick and someone offered to pray for you, what would you say? Thank you. What about people around you that are sick? They don't have to be believers. And you said, can I pray for you? I think they'd probably say thank you. That would be nice. But we don't because we're so worried about it. We're so worried that they might judge us. But we're trying to help them. We're expressing our faith in love. We're not doing it because we're trying to be a hero. We're not trying to impress them. We're actually trying to help them. You know, I spoke about that I get, you know, the impression to call someone. If you get an impression to call someone, call them. They might be lonely. They might be in a horrible situation. I've heard of people who have felt that unction, called the person, and they're on the brink of suicide. And if they didn't call, it could have been tragic. So, so do it. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and to do it. Being generous, we, you know, we heard a, a great offering message just before. You know, I want to talk about money in church. It's good to talk about money in church. It's good to talk about generosity because that's faith expressing itself in love. How do we be generous with everything that's been given to us? We're so blessed. We just had Alice um, at our church today. Alice is in Kitgum, Uganda. And very different place to Mossman. And we're just here, she came to our place for lunch and we're just going far out. Like, you know, we talk about generosity. Like these guys are living on nothing and we are so blessed. And it's like our calling is to live that stuff out in action. We're supposed to take action for it. We're called to be inclusive. You know, I love the fact that your church, our church, is inclusive. The idea that we go after the one, we go after the person who is lost. And we shouldn't just do that on a Sunday service, we should do that in our workplace. Like who in your workplace is lonely? Who needs a friend? Who needs a phone call? We need to be thinking around people that we meet at the cafe. Do we care about what they're going through? Do we ask good questions? We're called to live our, our faith. It's supposed to be an action and it will bear fruit which is my third point. Our faith produces fruit. John 5, 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The first fruit is that our faith gives us peace. The stats on anxiety is off the Richter. One in four Australians suffer from anxiety. It's... it's the most common mental health issue in Australia, affecting one in four. That's a lot of people. Like there's a lot of people here, one in four, that's a lot of people who suffer from anxiety. Do you know it's God's desire that we don't suffer from anxiety? Anxiety and fear can rob us of enjo our enjoyment of life. But a lot of people feel shame and they feel embarrassment about their fears so they journey it alone. But that's not God's plan for us. John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. The peace I give is not the peace that the world gives you. 
So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. God, through our faith, wants to give us peace. He wants to give you peace. He wants to help us journey the journey of anxiety. And I've had my fair share of anxiety, and I'm sure if you were honest too, that you've had your fair share of anxiety as well. And that we, through our faith, can experience peace. And we can bring peace. We can be bringers of peace to those people who are around us. Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I just go for a walk. Like if I feel anxious, I just go for a walk. And I just pray. I don't know what to pray. <laughs> but I'm just going to pray. And I say, God, I don't know what to pray. But I feel anxious. And I want you to meet with me. And it doesn't take long for him to come. And it won't take long for him to come as well. Because his desire is to leave you that peace. He wants to bring you that peace. The second thing is he wants to bring joy. I love the fact that the first miracle that Jesus did was to turn water into wine. Talk about putting it to the religious guys. <laughs> he just did something that was probably quite controversial, I would imagine. But Jesus wants us to have joy. He wants us to live in that place of joy. You know, when I heard Dylan worshipping, that overflow, that joy, there's something in him. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be out of the overflow of that. John 15, 11 says, These things I've spoken to you that your joy would be complete and your joy would be full. In faith, we want to be full. We want to be full of joy and it's a decision every day. So if you're feeling down, if you feel like you're getting um, overwhelmed, come back to this. This is God's desire for you. He wants your faith to be alive and he wants it to be full of joy. And the final thing is our faith sets us free and I'll get the musos to come up as we finish. But you ever felt like you've been trapped, that you're just heavy? Anyone done the bronze medallion test where you've had to swim 50 metres fully clothed? I have. Jeans, boots, jumper, in the pool. It's not easy to swim. That feeling of just like, oh my gosh, like I'm so heavy and I'm trying to stay above water and you're trying to kick and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, you get to the end of the pool and they say, okay, yeah, you've passed that. And then you go on to the next thing. You take the wet clothes off and you dive back in the water and you're like, far out, I feel amazing. That's what the freedom of God feels like when that stuff comes off you. God wants to set you free. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a great promise. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our faith is to set us free. You know, I think, you know, my journey of faith, I didn't become a Christian until I was sort of 17, 18, not from a Christian home. But the thing that drew me towards it was seeing life in someone else. It wasn't God initially. It was seeing a changed life. And to me, that happened to be my sister, who went from being a really nasty person <laughs> and in a very short period 
became the most lovely person you'll ever meet. You know, the power of God changed her to the point where she didn't say anything about it. And I said, what has happened to you? That's what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be that light on a hill. What has happened to you? What is it that you're carrying that makes you so happy, so positive, so full of faith? And if you've seen that in someone, that's God. That's God in them. And He wants to be in you. And He wants to not just have an experience with you, a salvation experience with you. He actually wants to journey with you every day in your everyday life, in your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your personal walk, in your personal development, all that sort of stuff. He wants to journey with you. And I just love the fact when I read about the prodigal son, it's such an incredible story because it had nothing to do with what the son did. In fact, all that, all that chapter does is highlight all the things that he did wrong. It doesn't talk about anything that he did right. So nothing you can do will qualify you for the Father's love because He loves you regardless. 